0: Accomplishment Coaching is proud to present the following fine programming. Accomplishment Coaching, where coaches lead and leaders coach. AccomplishmentCoaching.com
1: Welcome to The Coaching Show with your host, Master Certified Coach,
2: Christopher McCullough. Hey, this is Alex Terranova, and welcome back to The Coaching Show. I am not Christopher McCullough. I wish I was Christopher McCullough. He's a good guy, He's successful guy. He trained me, Um, but Christopher is out. I think he's at a conference uh, this week. So I am stepping in as your host and uh, I'll guide you through this, this podcast and this journey today. And I am joined by our other, you know, who's become a local, a local fixture. Is that a, is that a thing I can say? Um, uh, Craig Cassie, Craig, how are you, man? Thanks for,
0: for partnering up with me again on the show. I'm happy to be here. Christopher, thank you for not being here. <laughs> so I get to take your seat for a little bit. <laughs>
2: Um, you know, we, we just to people that, you know, I feel like at this point, you and I have done enough episodes that people know who we are, but you know, let's just remind them really quick. Um, I'm Alex Terranova. I have, my website is the I'm a performance and success alchemist and coach. I work mostly with men. I have an amazing men's retreat coming up in Idaho in October. If you're interested, I would love to talk to you about that. Um, and typically I work with people who are have like actually checked off all the boxes. They've they've created a lot of success in their life, but yet they feel unfulfilled. Something's missing. It's like, man, I did all the things. I made the money. I got married. I had the kids. And yet, why am I not loving my life? And I really support people to create the experience they want of their life and not have to sacrifice the success at the same time. And Craig, you know, yours is way more fun because you're like from the bedroom to the boardroom.
0: You want to tell, give people a little bit of, a little bit about what you do? Now, I'll give a little bit more context than just bedroom to boardroom coaching, but uh, I'm Craig Cassie, executive life, business, and sex coach. So my commitment is really helping clients create pleasurable experiences across the board while having the abundance of love, the play they want, and actually getting off to life. I mean, if you're asking yourself, when was the last time your life turned you on, then I'm probably <laughs> a great coach to help support you get over the bed death of life and actually have some more fucking fun again.
2: Man, I was, I was at a, uh, a men's event last night and this guy was like talking about like just how afraid he was. And you just reminded me of this, like how afraid he was to make changes. And as he was saying it, there were other guys like nodding, you know, they like you could really feel that like the fear about like changing your life, changing your career, you know, changing your friend group, like all the things that when we, you know, as we're growing up, we realize like maybe, you know, the friend group, the sports, the beer, the, all the stuff just like isn't working. And I really remembered that, that feeling. And I shared with him. um, I shared something about something I had done. And they were like, were you afraid? And I was like, yeah, I was afraid. But that's like how I knew I was alive. Right? Like that, that feeling that you get from being afraid, and stepping into it is what it feels like to be alive. And, And so many of us, I love how you shared what you do. Because so many of us are just kind of like sleepwalking through our life, our relationship. And it's fine, right? It's not it's not like terrible, it's not bad, it's fine, but we don't have a sense of being alive. Like our blood is
0: not pumping. No, and I really think if we felt more alive, our lives would change across the board. Like I know my relationship is dipping down like they all do within our cycles when I'm feeling stuck or stagnant or I'm just not taking leaps elsewhere. Like admittedly, the energy we have together, it just suffers. Like I really think the partners who leap together or even a part come back, are the ones who there's just more energy, from erotic energy to their new stories to share, or they just feel more capable to create a life they want. So I'm about to possibly move across the world to Australia. So my partner and I are looking at what that people mean. And uh, it does feel scary, but it does feel exciting. And it feels really tasty. I can almost feel how miserable it's going to be. Even though of my body is like, what are you doing? Your life is so fucking comfortable, Craig. Why would you give it all up move it from?
2: I love it. And the best thing is like, if you move to Australia and you don't like it or it doesn't work, you get to make a new choice, right? It's not like you're, you're out of choices. You get to choose again, which I think cool. is the, the best thing, right? There's the fear tells us that it's going to like ruin something, but we just choose again. Um, that's cool, man. That's exciting. Well, you, you said it before we were recording. I just got engaged. So I don't think I've been on this podcast. I think I got, the last time I was on this podcast was right before I got engaged. Um, and while that's not moving to Australia, right, big leap, uh, big commitment. Um, and the fear really gets involved when it comes to like planning the wedding and the money and all the stuff that goes with that. And, uh, so I'm getting to navigate that world and do it in partnership, which is really cool to have me and, and Evan, my fiance, like really on the same page about like how we, how we want it to go, the vision we have and really support each other. You know, when one of us I get stressed out, and then she'll kind of pick me up, and she'll get stressed out, and I'll pick her up. Um, But yeah, it's like, I think if you have a good life, or and you continue to evolve and grow, you're constantly running into the next fear.
0: So part of the fun, and congratulations. I'm thrilled for both of you. I cannot wait to celebrate you for many, many more years. You met her before I did. It's true, and I, I helped choose her.
2: You <laughs> he did, yeah. People aren't familiar. Like, why did he? If you, Christopher has talked many times, and we've talked many times about the dating experiment I did online. Uh, Craig was one of the people that supported me and actually picked Evan out of over a hundred women um, to be the person that would have that would date me and go to Tulum with me, and now we are engaged, which is pretty You good. got tens across the board. If you're listening, Evan, tens across the board. We always, jo- we always joke that you probably should marry us. Don't hold us to that. But I'm always like, I <laughs> oh, probably should marry us because, you know, he's, he kind of started this.
0: Uh, I don't give an announcement at the wedding. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> Let me, let's
2: introduce our guest. Um, so um, our guest is a CEO and founder of The Conservatory Group. This is an organization that provides high-touch services to business executives that want to improve themselves, their team, and their environment. Uh, he spent a major part of his career at Oracle, nineteen years. He was a senior director of sales, the sales performance group in or- Oracle's global sales academy. His background includes healthcare, insurance, telecommunications, and a focus on organizational behaviors. He is a PhD, which means he's smarter than both of us um, in organizational and he's a PhD in organizational leadership um, from Regents University, and he has a master's of science in organizational leadership with with honors with a focus on leadership and management from Regis University in Denver. He's also received multiple business certifications and is a leadership expert. Tom Tonkin, welcome to The Coaching Show. How How are you?
1: Well, I got, I'm better now hanging out with the two of you. <laughs> that, was a, that was a pretty cool banter. First of all, congratulations, Alex. Thank you. Um, so here's, here's, here's a, here's a coincident Um, my youngest son, Alex just got engaged as
2: well. <laughs> oh, congratulations to you.
1: Yeah. So, um, you know, we're, we're off by one and he's my youngest. I've got two older ones that are married. So, um, but, a very similar experiment that my Alex went through as well, wait really, <laughs> yeah, with the online thing um I don't know where you're where you went, but he took some um some some bad turns, shall I say, uh, <laughs> on himself in some weird parts of the world with some yeah, just uh you know just trying to find, you know, I mean, the world is different. I mean, I met my wife a gazillion years ago and it was at work. Right. And uh, I mean, that was, you know, you either, you either met them there or you met them in some outside thing. Um, I am a boomer and boomers spent a heck of a lot of time at work. You know, we didn't have an internet. We didn't have any of that stuff. And so guess what? You went to work. Everybody went to work uh, in a building. And so you, Ran into people, and that's how you got to know. And, and arguably, I mean, as far as time's concerned, spend most of your time uh, in that building. So it's interesting just to listen to how all of this gets manifested.
2: Yeah, it's so different now. I mean, I think you know when you look, my dad met my mom in the apartment building they both lived in in New York City. There you go. And and I think there was a time right where women actually one of the one of the motivations to be in the workforce was like that's how you got out and actually met people and i think that's mm-hmm. like obviously we're not we don't live in that time anymore yeah. um and th- it was like totally normal to think like you would meet you could meet your partner either in your friend group or at work whereas like now if you expect to meet your partner at work that's probably you're probably gonna get yourself in trouble in in a lot of uh, situations um yeah it's done this weird thing right like my uh the internet has like completely changed the way we date, the way we work, the way we do friendships. I mean, this is pretty wild. I feel like Craig is, is one of my good friends and we've never actually met in person, but we've done a ton of podcasts together. We've had phone calls. He knows my, right. And that, that it was not be possible without you know, the internet.
1: Agreed. And, and, and again, I think you have another one on your resume as far as uh quote unquote friendship with your fiance. So yeah. anyway. I, I just, I wanted to highlight that because I think
2: that has a lot to do with what we're going to talk about with coaching too. Well, yeah. You, so tell us a little bit about, let's just give people some more context because you spent this massive portion of your career in sales. How did you go from, from sales and Oracle to kind of leadership coaching? Like give, give us a little transition.
1: Yeah. So, so let, let's just take that little tiny th- thread. So in the beginning of my career, this would be mid eighties. Um, it, I got sort of stumbled into sales. I don't think anybody goes and when they're 12 years old says, look, I can't wait to be in sales. Um, so you get in the sales and I'm doing pretty well. Uh, I end up in Oracle. I'm doing some selling and I, I, it so happens that I'm doing you know better than most. And so the boss says, why don't you, uh, why don't you give your, uh, you know, your, your peers a hand. Why don't you help them out? So I said, sure. How hard can that be? That's where everyone chuckles. Um, so I go and I do that. And like, you know, I just kind of tell people what to do or how I would do it. I didn't train necessarily. Right? You just kind of have a conversation about it. Some of it was hit and miss. Some people got, did better. Some people didn't really improve. Boss says, yeah, I get back and go back to work. And I, that happened like three or four times and it came to a time where it's like these are two very different things the actual act of selling or teaching and coaching people how to sell two different skill mixes craig alex i'm sure you guys would agree that your coaching businesses have coaching skills that that help other people do something but not the thing itself well you know and again craig you probably have one that traverses a a much broader spectrum there, but my point was you can't do both. And so the back of my mind, I thought, okay, the next time the boss says that I'm either going to say yes and just do it like coach and teach and train or no, don't ever ask me again. I'm just going to go sell. And I landed on yes. I think I'm going to coach and train because to me, it was about scalability at that point. I've tried to think like, if I'm doing really well, I'm doing really well. But if I can multiply my skills and have many people do well because I can help them, that scalability increases. So once I came to that mindset, now the question is, now I got to know how to do this, right? I got to learn how to teach, learn how to coach, go get all those skills or formalize them anyway. To be able to be effective in that way, as opposed to you know, make it a profession as opposed
2: to a hobby. So, where did you? What was the? Did you go to a specific training? Did you like what? What was that next that got you more in the co- like the training, the coaching?
1: So, so there was so there were philosophical things about how I saw sales, and then how would what kind of coaching methodology did I want to absorb to be able to do that? And I um, I ended up. Being a certified coach uh, in NLP, okay. So, neuro linguistic program. So, I went and uh, got certified coaching from the Institutes of Worldwide NLP. Actually, out of Australia, out of all places. Um, uh, basically, they are kind of world renowned when it comes down to this kind of stuff. Ended up actually traveling to Singapore to do sort of the immersive stuff. Um to to get all of the skills and sort and and then practice and and I that was in 2008.
2: Will you will you quickly give people an idea like I am familiar with NLP but for the for the listeners that aren't familiar like what is NLP and and the what yeah. like how do you use it? So NLP stands
1: for neuro-linguistic programming. It was sort of come, came about in the early 70s. And probably the layman's terms that I use is kind of the greatest hits of psychology. So it basically takes all of the psychological You know, if you if you meet like a like myself, right? If we'll get meet, we might get into this topic. But I'm a sincerity expert, and that's all. I mean, that's my scholarship, right? I go all real, real deep. Well, what what NLP does is It takes a whole bunch of real psychologists and kind of gives you a very operational view, and 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 the actual tasks and activities. To, for example, communicate better, create better rapport, um, change a frame of reference. And eventually you can coach, and there are psychotherapists that use this model as well, you know, to stop smoking and a bunch of other things you can use to NLP. So it actually operationalizes a lot of the psychological research that we know. And, 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 and again, it was a very scalable model. And that's why one of the reasons that I chose to be certified in that versus anything else.
0: And it sounds really primed for sales. So I'm curious, when you first began that transition, you moved from being an expert at sales, you begin to get traded at LLP. What did that initial process of merging LLP with sales training look like for you?
1: Well, actually merged many sales training, um, Paradigms that use NLP. Um, Some, I'm going to just come out and say it inappropriately or downright slimy, if I may, because NLP can be used for good and it can be used for bad, depending on your intentionality. And back in the day, um, not too long ago, actually, but I mean, still out there is that a lot of people have used a cycle um, what do you call it? Manipulation, if you will, to get to that. And, you know, I think everybody on the call would appreciate that. I, that's not me. <laughs> I feel compelled to say that. Um, but, <laughs> but I mean, that's an internet, it's an, an intentionality. There is, for example, in NLP, there is what's called Ericksonian hypnosis. Um, and it's a, a certain kind of hypnotism that you use with words to be able to elicit people's information values, heck, even influence them. And, you know, people think of hypnosis as, you know, look at the clock, you know, look at my watch and you're going to sleep and you're going to cluck like a chicken. That is not what I'm talking about, right? But I am talking about sort of pre-framing somebody's mind to accept something. Um to be true, true would, where potentially maybe they don't believe it's true. So I felt as if sales skills are more like life skills. And there's an excellent book by Dan Pink that talks about to sell as human. If we all think about it, I mean, Alex, you had to convince your fiance to get engaged. That was probably one of your bigger sales transactions. Um, you know, I say it kind of tongue in cheek. <laughs> what I mean by that is obviously she had to see something in you and she, you had to see something in her and you had to build rapport over the time of dating, everything that goes with it, not unlike sales relationships. And 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 so that intentionality, right? I mean, I, I, you know, you'll be coercive in engaging here or not. I mean, again, I facetiously say this, but basically to make a point here um, about how we, how I go about helping salespeople build a report and intentionality with their prospects and customers.
2: Yeah, you. I know you speak about like sincerity. And that being part of, you know, that being part of your philosophy, what do you think, you know, coaches or consultants or salespeople are are being insincere? And I don't mean like intentionally, I think that there's right, there's people that are intentionally being insincere. And then there's people that are, that don't actually realize they're doing it.
1: you're you're absolutely right. And, and I'm going to say that if you, I mean, if you're a coach worth your weight in salt, you're, you're, you're going to be, or try to be as sincere as possible. Um, But there's, there's many, there's just, the language is so important. That's why I go back to NLP and then my focus on sincerity. I, 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 I heard in passing I'm just going to give you this this little in-passing thing the other day. One person said to another person in line at some restaurant or something, she said to her friend, boy, I'm hungry. And her friend said, well, I already ate. So I kind of just paused and thought about that and said, well, how helpful was that banter back and forth? Like, I'm hungry, and the other lady says, well, I already ate now. Is that mean you don't want to eat? That means you want me to go do something else? Or, like, what does that mean? The reason I bring that up is because there's we have this built-in self-centeredness that is intent, uh, uh, unintentional or unconscious, if you will, that seeps into our language. And that's what sincerity tries to help with. Sincerity is other-centric. I use authenticity as kind of like the other side of sincerity because by definition, authenticity is self-referential. Like if you think of authenticity, it's about you. And we even have it in our language. It's already built in. Hey, uh, Craig, you know, I'm just saying. You know, I don't know if I really like that lamp. Um, hey, look, I'm just being real with you, bro. I mean, right?
0: <laughs> it's my um, boyfriend. Let him know you said that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but I mean, but my point is somehow that interaction you and I that I just came up with somehow needs to be, I don't know how helpful that is or how respectful that is. But some but it's in our lexicon, it's our language. I'm just saying, I'm trying to be real, all this other stuff. And if we're trying to build rapport, if we're trying to build a relationship, and I'm trying to get to know you, Craig, or Alex, I need to know about you. I need to understand your values. So I don't have to agree with them or anything, but I need to understand what those are and how can I support them. You could see how I'm kind of inching into the into coaching now in that conversation. And so that's what I use sincerity for, to be able to do those kinds of things, is to understand what is it about you that makes you take in your set of values, and how can I potentially help you with them? I think one of the things that we forget about coaching just as as a as a discipline is that you are another person outside of your client or um, that you are working with. so you can see things that they can't see. And you have to be very specific about how it is that you can see it and how can you explain what's going on. Like, for example, I'm this third person. The one lady says, I'm hungry. The other lady says, I've already eaten. Do you think either one of them saw anything behind that? Probably not, but I did. Right? Because it is what I do. I pay attention to that kind of stuff. I. It had had it been a little sort of more important or maybe in a different context, I could have added some value there
0: and 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 sort of start dropping some of the blind spots for each one of them. I find this fascinating. So that same conversation you mentioned sounds like what clients bring me as couples working on their sex life. And the main place we begin is looking at authentic expression. And before today's podcast, I probably compounded (laughs) sincerity and authenticity together. What I really hear is the distinction is if if authenticity is about the self, then sincerity is like the ability to be free of any pretense to be in a relationship, right? To drop any hypocrisy or any deceit. So it's no longer manipulative but it's not about expressing the me. It's about creating space for connection in the week. Uh, uh, uh,
1: Agreed. I mean, there, there you have it. I, the only thing I would add to that definition is each of you, let's just your, in your context of your, of your of your marriage and sex life there would be, am I being sincere to, to, to her and, or to him or, or and vice versa, right? That's, that's the big takeaway where in authenticity we tend to have a self-referential view, right? The world revolves around me. And so let me tell you about me. Oh, and by the way, you can tell me about you. And hopefully somewhere along the line, we'll connect. (laughs) But that rarely happens in that context. And by the way, I, i I was all in on authenticity. This was back in the early 2000s. I thought that that was like, you know, the bee's knees. So I, I thought that that was the way to go. Um, but every time I did research, I mean, I've got published papers. I've I've actually won a, a conference award on one of my authenticity papers. And when I was done with that paper, I thought, eh, <laughs> it just doesn't feel right. You know, it's still... You know, everyone thought it was great. And like, you know, I get a little certificate, stand up and everyone claps. I walk back to my hotel room and I'm thinking, mm, no, this, this is not right. This isn't the right thing. Um, all the way to the point where I kind of put my money where my mouth is. So when I wrote my dissertation, I wrote that comparison between
2: sincerity and authenticity. I'm curious. So a little bit, I'm sitting here. My, my book is sitting behind me and it's called fictional authenticity. Um And the thing that I'm thinking about is, do we have to get to a place where we actually know ourselves and can be authentic before we can even get to the next place? That I love how you, the authenticity is about you, more the sincerity is about them. And that I hear there's so much more power in that sincerity. There's so much more power. There's so much more connection. There's so much more available. But if I don't actually know me, if I'm if I can't find my authenticity, if I don't know who I am, how can I actually be sincere? Can I can I even connect with others? So
1: let, let's um, let's clarify some things. I'm not poo pooing authenticity, and you know, like it's yeah. not an either or, right? It's yeah, not yeah. to me the contextual discussion. Yeah, and the the context that I'm trying to put it is upon creating relationship. Mm-hmm. So I'm not. So you're, you're absolutely correct. I need to be authentic with myself before I, I evaluate sincere, um, move on to somebody else. You're absolutely right. The question is people bring that authenticity to the next step of relationship, which is where that's, that's where I'm thinking, okay, yes. you, you need to continue finding who you are for the rest of your life. Cause probably the most complex person is yourself um, that you will meet, ever meet. And then, but when you go in and say, "I'm going to build rapport on whomever spouse significant other, child, customer, you, you bring the sincerity tools with you to, to be able to do that. Um, now we could have an entire conversation about self-authenticity and break those down, because authenticity, if you go to literature, actually has some dimensions to it. And the first one is self-awareness. Right? So, so that self-awareness has, has to be in there. And for me, so if I were to drop authenticity from the middle between sincerity and, and self-awareness, you can see how quickly the, they connect. How could I possibly be sincere if I'm not self-aware of who I am? Now, authenticity brings a couple more. Transparency. Um, something called internalized morality.
0: Christopher McAuliffe is your source for the latest in the world of personal coaching. Whether it be speaking with such luminaries as Deepak Chopra or getting the newest techniques and innovation, The Coaching Show is always on the cutting edge of what's happening now. The Coaching Show is brought to you by Accomplishment Coaching, home of the World's Finest Coach Training Program. Here is Christopher McAuliffe, Master Certified Coach.
1: So you you have to have a, for you to be authentic, you have to have a perspective of what your true north is, whatever that is. And this goes back, Alex, to what you just said about knowing yourself. What is the underlying set of values that you operate on? Mm-hmm. Um, I often ask that values question. And, you know, Craig, you, or, or Alex, when you, and you're, but well, Craig, given what you do, probably see this more often. Sometimes people don't, can't answer that question. Right? What is, What what is that? That and I, And I'm not, talking necessarily about big things either this is kind of small things and where do, where do you stand on on personal issues and what is your true north and what is the standard of good that you bring to that conversation to yourself right. and and then lastly and this was a little outside of the strike zone but I'll throw it in is something called balance processing and what balance processing is it's the only dimension that really considers other people it basically says you know, as I think about myself and how I behave, I'll take consideration of what other people think. So those are the four dimensions of authenticity from an from a academic literature perspective. Now, take a look at the, my work around sincerity. There are three dimensions. The first one's empathy. Um, and, and, and all that goes with now there's a, there's a rival competing view of compassion that's in there as well. They're like kissing cousins, if you will. Um, The second one is this idea of um, sort of, uh, what am I going to say, sort of uh, of, um, non-coercive altruism. This idea that it's altruistic, but I don't have a, 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 a dog in the fight a lot of scholars really wrestle with the idea of altruism and it's still not clear because people will say, well, you know, I, I work at the soup kitchen because, you know, I want to give to others, but the idea of altruism, you, you get no benefit out of it, but let's face it. When we work at a soup ch- kitchen and we're helping people, we get something out of it. We get charged. And so what I'm saying is how can you keep that at bay? And then and usually that, st- that, that, that dimension of sincerity gets fired when you see social injustice out there. That's the one that really kind of kicks in. But that social injustice has to connect back to the idea of internalized morality. You have to know, like, once one man's social injustice is another man's, you know, suck it up, that's life, um, and, and deal with it differently. And then the last dimension is what I call demonstrable affirmation. Like it's not good enough for me to sit there and go, yeah, I'm, you know, gee, I feel really bad for you. And boy, the way I would do it is this that for you to finish off sincerity, yeah, go get your ass up and go do something. And that do something could be as easy as just putting my hand on your shoulder. Um, and so my point is if you take these three dimensions, wrap them up into sincerity, bring those into a relationship, that's how you can start cultivating. And sort of an other's view, because all three of those dimensions, by the way, point to others as opposed to yourself. I'm going to pause there because I've been talking way too much.
0: We've been eating it up, Tom. I'm taken aback by, I think, the invitation to be radically honest with yourself through the lens of this. So, grew up in a family, only serving others, super Christian household type of thing. And this I find very common in our culture, our very waspy upbring, which is the idea to do good for others. And what's not spoken is what we're getting in return. Energetically, emotionally, socially, how we're viewed our performance of achievement as a good image that we're presenting. And I really find that those interactions, now that I'm no longer part of like that community, they feel like they're laced with something. A little toxic i'm not going to make the frog but there's an energy that definitely lingers in the space that i think makes some sticky experiences that slow me down as opposed to if i'm looking at the times when i have really been non-corps like altruistic uh it's easy and there might be extra space for me to do more to lean in i have more access to the future but there's no longer this like residue around service that I think trips people up sometimes.
1: Well, you're right. I mean, I want to make sure we understand that when I have a perspective of who you are and your values and, and, and that, by the way, that's, that's a little bit of how I start becoming sincere is that altruism and that social injustice is what's happening to the other person that may not necessarily be congruent with your own values. That's the hard part. If you see somebody that's suffering and they're suffering in some social injustice, and that social injustice, A, is not something that necessarily connects with you. Arguably, you can start talking about being a privilege. And 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 when I say privilege, and and by the way, I've 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 done diversity, equity, inclusion work for a gazillion years back before it was it wasn't cool to do so, especially as a middle-aged white straight man. Um, it's something that people find interesting um that I do. But this is where my work landed, is you have to take somebody else into consideration to say, What is that thing that they want to have happen and is good for them? And what is it that I can contribute to that goodness to then be able to fulfill my level of sincerity and build the relationship that they need? And that this is the hard part, right? This is the hard part where you you have to have an exploration of your own values. Going back to what you, Alex, what you said about having some grounding in your authenticity but also know the ability to take a departure from that to be able to help somebody else. And that's where I come up. I don't come up, but I agree with the idea when the term privilege is used as of late, people always think of whether it's, I don't know, financial or whatever, or you're some kind of elitist or something. It's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is. When understand your privilege that in certain contexts you are not going to be um connected to those in that particular situation. Let me let me give you an example because this will this will help. So uh, I've flown a lot in my life and I am a million miler on a particular airline. And I was um I get treated very, very well. And there was this older lady traveling by herself who happened to be, um, spoke Spanish, not very good English. You could see she was traveling. I would say she's probably certain in her seventies, maybe eighties. And they were about to kick her off the plane. Because whatever, right? Some ticket
0: issue.
1: (laughs) And... They're all, you know, again, typical stupid American people will, you know, I'll just like say things in English louder and slower because obviously that's how she's going to understand. Um, Again, open paren, sarcasm, close paren.
2: Um, So I, I wait, that doesn't work when you yell at someone louder in the same language. It doesn't make them suddenly be able to understand. And it's
1: slower too, it's (laughs) slower. So the poor lady was in this angst, and she knew. Now, I happen to know Spanish fluently because of my background. And so I told her very quickly that everything would be fine. And I looked at the person, and I said, she can have my seat. And they say, sir, sir, that won't be necessary. No, I said, it it will be necessary. You give her my seat right now. So they did. And she sat down, and she got the chance to sit in first class. Um, and I looked at the uh airline flight attendant and I said, please make sure you take care of her. And she smiled and kind of picked up on all that was going on and said, She's gonna be fine. So I get off the plane and I go through a a little bit of a a discussion. Cause they they were all flipping out right? like we got to get this guy on a plane. We gotta make, you know, all I mean, all of the resources to get me back on my flight all kicked in. And I got I, I got the next flight. I got first class. I mean it was fine, right? It's like, you know, waited another two, three hours, whatever the heck it was. Um but I had that conversation. I said, first of all, I, I would have never been treated like that. Second of all, now that imagine her like if I stayed in a plane And she got pulled off, and she's now in front of that counter. I'm having this conversation like this, by the way. How would you treat, would all the resources you had to come to bear, would you place it on her like you're doing it with me? Would she be on the next flight? Would she even know what she was doing? Would she be lost? Shame on you. And so the conversation is, can you understand that? Can you put yourself in that? Have sincerity, A, empathy, B, see the social injustice. And do and see demonstrable affirmation. Get your ass off and do something, You know, off your ass and go do something. That is probably a good example of sincerity at work. Now you get me all fired up, so I'm going to stop it. That's
2: such a great example of you know. So many people get so triggered in the in the conversation of privilege, right? Like it, it like it discounts something they've done. Or it takes away, right? Like that, um, like that your privilege discounts that you worked really hard to get your PhDs and your master's
0: degree. Yeah.
2: Right. It had nothing to do with it, right? Like correct. <laughs> and, and people get so and, and I get it, right? Cause it's it, 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 really for those people, it 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 our ego grabs it. And our ego is like, no, I worked hard or, you know, I, I don't have any special advantages. Um, but I love how you described like it's not it's just the way that we like um we're conditioned to relate to other people that we don't even realize the conditioning that, and how it plays a part
1: you know? exactly and so in that context i was privileged yeah. that's 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 kind of what i was getting to the definition yeah. and understanding that and then be able to carry out on that privilege is an important thing yeah i mean there's a lot of also real systemic uh racism in in our in the system. And I want to be clear, right? I've been wanting to talk about this. And now you got me here. So I'm going to put it on this podcast. <laughs> because what I want everybody to understand is the following. Our system is not racist. However, we have systemic instances of racism that we need to pull out. Because I think sometimes people like on both sides of the aisle kind of argue that and i think i think we get problem definition let me give you an example so this last election in 2020 um uh, there was a lot of people really really concerned about the native american not getting uh the ability to vote there's very very low vote voter turnout and so there was a lot of overprivileged white people who thought i know what the problem is they don't understand or or they don't have uh transport to the voting polls you know, all of this. So we're going to fix it. We're going to give little pamphlets out. We're going to get, we're going to get people into the bus and we're going to take them to the voting poll and all that other stuff. Now, God bless them. Everything's great. The it has got great intention. Okay. Show up to the voting poll the time to register. I don't know if you know this gentlemen, but if you don't have a street address, you cannot register to vote. There are no street addresses in Indian reservations. Mm. And other- so they could not fill the form. The the voter police saying, "Hey, look, you can't fill out the form because it says you have a SU address, which they're correct, and at the same time voided this." So that is what when I talk about systemic issues in the system. This is what I'm talking about. The system itself works. We, of course, we want people to register, we want people to have the opportunity to do all these other things, but let's not let the system have something that allows, you know, that trips people up.
2: And there's a bunch of that stuff all over the place. Well, it, just, it'll be clear. It, it reminds me just if to make it really simple. It reminds me of like flaw in codes. Like my website works, but there's flaws in the code that have it not work as well as it can. It doesn't work as fast as it can. It doesn't search on Google as fast as it can. It's not optimized, right? And so like the the system, in a sense, like there's a website, right? It works. Mm-hmm. There's the information but to the degree and power and availability and who can see it and who can access it and how fast they can get it and who finds me and how do I find them doesn't work to the degree that it could. And that's, that's, I think I, I really hear that. Like it is cause we're, you know, I was in a conversation yesterday and I was like, the system is broken. And I, I hear that it's, it's not, ju- it's not really the system. It's like the it's there's like quirks or or details that actually have That have the thing break down. And obviously, all systems can be improved also. No system is like perfect. Um, But a lot of what you're pointing to isn't like the whole system has to necessarily be broken and thrown out, but these actual pieces, if they were addressed and shifted, then. Like in that example, right? If if it was like, yeah, but if, if there was a box, it was like, no, I live on an Indian reservation. Um, right. <laughs> right? It's like nothing has to actually change. There just has to be a box that, right, right? and then you'd put in whatever information that means.
1: Exactly. So, so what I'm saying is there's instantiations of part within the system that allows it. And so I think if we have that level of clarity, I think it's important. Now, just to wrap up this piece of why I brought this up is, I see... That that's the world we live in. So what is the mitigation tool that we have from a relationship builder? And I think sincerity is one that kind of wraps around that because if somebody understood, somebody went and did heck a journey map for those that understand what that is. And instead of putting a bunch of people into a bus and taking them and said, let me just go through this thread to see what the problem is. And Alex, to your point, Hey, can we call somebody, put a checkbox in this thing so we can get this thing done? Boom, right? But when I do a customer journey maps, when I sit there and I go through the journey with the customer, I'm going to tell you that usually only less than 10% of the journey is the one that's actually tainted. But customers tend to want to grab that entire journey, whatever that is, whether it's filling out something on a website or doing some kind of business protocol or some sales, they, they, they tend to go, oh, this whole thing's crap, that's still the whole thing out, as opposed to saying, well, no. what if we just fix those less than 10% and then the whole thing smooths out? Um, so anyway, so I, I think sincerity is one of those things that has a self-other uh, centric view that bring the bears some of these social injustices. So then we can turn around and say, okay, then what is it that I'm going to actually do to fulfill that routine?
2: Thanks for um thanks for sharing all this. Thanks for your passion too. There's that uh, we got you all we got you all yeah, We started all calm and, and kind of cozy and we got you all <laughs> jacked up and fired up. Um, but I think for a good reason and um and and to share, you know, a perspective on this that many people don't see and also to see it. Like I love that you're, you know, you're putting, hey, I'm a boomer, I'm a white single, I'm a not single, I'm a white, you know, man, straight man. And like that you, this is your perspective. And, and, and often that's not what we see. We see that often the opposite. Um, Right. And so for you to bring that, I think is really powerful. Uh, Where can people, our time like flew by, Um, where can people find out more about you? Where can people reach you?
1: So, so, so uh, I always say this at the end, it's like my party trick is if you go to Google and type in Tom Tonkin, I'm the first (laughs) results. Um, and so I, I don't know, it's a uniqueness, of name. Um, I always have to spell it out cause people are like, is that with an M or an N? I was, that was a gift of, you know, that's a, the gift that keeps giving from my parents. So I, um, so LinkedIn, Twitter, um, are my hangouts. Um, I certainly have a website salesconservatory.com, Um, but I'm very,
2: very easy to find. So. Cool. We'll put all of that in the show notes. Is there anything you want to say before we, we we leave you and wrap this up? Well, I you
1: know, you're right. I mean I am all fired up about it because that that is a, a passion of mine. And yeah. you know, basically if I had one last message is, you know, just love each other, take care of yourselves, right? Ev- everyone's got a thing. look out for each other. look, look out beyond yourself and and see how you can help and hopefully what I want to do and I've got a book coming out on Sincerities called Sincerely Yours that hopefully will give people sort of a roadmap of how they can do that
0: I love that title I just awed silently on mute over here but I will happily hop on your newsletter lister so I can get that book when it comes out I feel like that's what the world needs today it certainly feels like what America and some parts of Europe could really benefit from so Thank you for the journey from salesman to sincerity expert for sharing that with us today, Tom. Thank you, gentlemen. Take care. Yeah, Tom, thanks for being with us.
2: Um, we'll put everything for uh, that. You can so you can find Tom in the show notes. Craig, anything you want to say or leave us with to help people where to find you?
0: I think Tom said it great. Love everybody. If you want to find me, you can find me at Craig Cassie Jr. That's C-R-A-I-G-C-A-S-S-E-Y-J-R on Instagram for daily. Relationship, business, mindfulness content, or on my website or coaching naked. If you look that up on YouTube, you'll see me there too. I'm like, are we going to see you naked there?
2: What? <laughs> There's Wrong, a raw discussion. stories free uh, of bullshit.
0: Not new, dude. Just make <laughs> it
2: socially. Thanks, man. Uh, and I'm Alex Terranova. You can find me at thedreammason.com if you're interested in, you know, if you're a man and you're interested in resetting, rebooting, and uh, maybe re- re-choosing what's next for you, your life, your leadership, uh, you can join us on the Alchemy of Men retreat in October. We actually just launched some scholarships, so financial is a burden or a challenge for you, uh, reach out and we can talk about that. You can you can find everything you need for me at thedreammason.com. And uh, this is The Coaching Show and we'll see you next week with Christopher. Take care.
0: That's it for today's episode. Thanks for listening to The Coaching Show. We will talk to you next week.